1: where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500
0: Welcome to Your Nerdist Podcast number 681. Well, what do you guys, what is that? He tried to start a sound of a, a Simpsons.
2: <laughs>
0: That's alright. I'm glad you guys are I'm glad you guys are here for the intro. You get to listen to the community corkboard. Yeah. What's going on, Katie Levine? Well, we have a- <laughs> That's a newsroom, not a corkboard.
1: <laughs> <CTORCómo->
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing that. <laughs> it's time for the
0: Nerd Community Corkboard. one. Dog train. <laughs> oh. What's <ARI> <laughs> oh, on the corkboard? <laughs>
1: Uh, we have a new podcast on the Nerds Podcast Network. Yes, it is called Clonecast, and it's Orphan Black's official podcast. You guys, Whoa. it's hosted by Rob Moden and Mackenzie Donaldson, who is an associate producer on the show. And each week, they welcome a guest from either behind the scenes or one of the actors from the show to take uh, questions from the audience, hear the theories about the shows, mar- and marvel at their creativity. Also, if you send them your artwork, you can be featured on the podcast.
0: Are you reading this? I am. Okay. <laughs>
1: What? Yeah. That's how I talk. So perfect.
0: No, there are going to be a lot of other. So what? What if the podcast spawns a bunch of different, similar podcasts with different personalities?
1: Just like Orphan Black. Yes. Oh my gosh.
0: What else is on the corkboard?
1: Uh, one of our listeners is doing the walk for MS, and they mm-hmm. made a team called Nerds for a Cure, and you can you can help join it if you are in the Waukesha, Wisconsin area on September 13th. You can join Nerds for a Cure if you go to bit.com. Dot do slash Nerds for a Cure. You can get more info on that.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Katie Levine. And
1: this is for today's episode? Uh, th- yeah, tomorrow. Oh, uh,
0: yeah. Uh, also, this is Jonah Ray talking. I have a video that premiered today from Michael
2: Cronin uh, off of his new album, MC3. The song is called Say, and the video is a parody of You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon, which includes me, uh, Michael, of course. Uh, Kurt Braunohler, Nick Thune Nelson Franklin, Alan McLeod and uh, it was a, a
0: lot of fun to make and I hope you guys like it. Check it out. It's on nice. Funny or Die. Nice!
1: Dog trainer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, farm, Babysitter. Baby Please take one. I'll see if I can find that puppy. Make cash now for $250 an hour. Oh. He's really good. <laughs> Alright. Are you in line for the bathroom? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this episode is Stephen Tobolasky. And Bing! Yes. <laughs> hey, you're the Bing guy. <laughs> no, I am. Uh, yes. That's the torch to me. <laughs> Steven Tabalowski, uh, he's promoting Big Time in Hollywood, Florida on Comedy Central Wednesdays at 10 30. Great show. So good. You can watch so all the episodes nice. on CC.com. Also, the Tabalowski Files. Steven I've, is a guy that I've wanted on for a long time, and he finally came on, and holy shit, did he not disappoint? He was amazing. What a fucking fantastic dude! Yeah. And then he came on at midnight, and he was hilarious, but this. Podcast went in so many wonderful, weird, fantastic directions that I – and philosophical directions. I adore you, Stephen Tobolowsky, and I I really – you know, I mean for a guy that's done so many amazing things and for a guy that people still yell Ned Ryerson quotes at, it's just to know how much depth and dimension he has as a human being – I adore him, so uh, this was a this was a huge honor for me. You and know, uh, in Puxtony,
2: the, the the town where they filmed uh, Groundhog Day, they filled in the uh, the the thing that yeah. Bill
0: steps in, yeah. and like like have like an homage, like a plaque on it. Oh, that's okay. like Ned Rice, like the Bing step. They called the Bing step or something like that. But uh, Julia Prescott, very funny comedian, like just took an Instagram of it because she drove through town out of our way to go take a picture. That's of fantastic. Which is episode number six eighty one. Stephen Tomolasky.
2: start here <laughs> like wait 20 minutes ago we were just talking about the draft and i now... just i just
0: walked in to basically a reality show of <laughs> of sports people banging each other well,
2: it's terrible
0: but that's what you do in sports I mean, you, <laughs> you. well you have a very and you know and it's i i, I always i was always jealous of sports people growing up because i was not a sportsy person you know and uh but in my adult life I am. It, it's it's sort of that thing like from Blade Runner where uh, t- the guy from the Terrell Corporation says to huh. uh, he he says to Rucker Hower, the candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. Yes, it's sort of like these sports guys they make a shit ton of money in in a very short amount of time, but because their bodies just can't sustain for more than you know ten years, then they have the rest of their like I kind of feel bad for them, but we can do
2: comedy acting whatever forever. Sort of we could do it sort of forever it, my my sports career was really grim i I was on a swim team, okay, and they used they had a rule back in Texas that you had to have someone enter every event, uh, so they used me for the garbage events <laughs> like because they had people that would actually win races, Yes, so they put me in. It, it didn't matter if it was 400-meter backstroke followed by 50-meter freestyle. <laughs> in the women's division, it didn't matter. You know, they had to have someone many— 10-meter doggy paddle? Oh, it, one, one event. This this was really—we were at Ardmore, Oklahoma, doing a, a swim meet, and I began to drown. <laughs> I had been in so many—and all I could—I was doing the backstroke, and, and the, the idea of the backstroke is you stay on top of the water— uh, you you don't want to do that backstroke and be a foot under the surface because no. then you you can't breathe and you're not moving. But and all I I managed to get up to the top and I heard someone in the crowd yell, "For God's sake, someone save him!" <laughs> but that wasn't that wasn't the real shame. The real shame was. When I finished the race and I got to the end, I did not have the muscular strength to get out of the pool. Okay. So my arms were like noodles. So I'm there, and they, they, they're they getting ready. They're warming up to start the next race, and people are swimming and getting the and, – and I'm still in the pool. And they say, son, you can get out of the pool now. I said, okay. Okay. I couldn't, my arm was like a noodle. You know, I, I, I slapped it up. There was no strength. So I had to get out of the pool the way Shamu gets out of the pool at SeaWorld. I had to like jump up and beach myself and then <laughs> roll, roll over to the stand. Did they give
0: you a sardine as a treat? <laughs> would I wish. Good. That would be a, no, it. No, it's Now, why were, you, why were you in the swim team if this wasn't something that, or did you want to be a swimmer or did someone make you because it was a, an
2: athletic school thing? yeah i i think I think the the first element of it was that I was so bad at all other sports, and the second element was that the men men we weren 't men I was like in eighth grade the boys and the girls were on the swim team together, and you got to see a lot of girls in swimsuits and there you go. Then I heard that one of the girls on the swim team liked me. <gasps> So, Probably so, not after that performance. Well, I think she hung in there. <laughs> if if, and this is just like a message for all you people out there. If a woman will love you when you after you drowned in front of other people, stick with her. Don't don't dump St- her. That that's a keeper. That's a keeper, man. That's a keeper. She was the first girl I ever made out with, and I didn't know I didn't know we were going on a double date to make out. We were going to hear Peter Paul and Mary or something like sure. that. Sure, and. We were in the back seat of someone who was old enough to drive. Someone drove the car there. And How we old were are in you the, at this point? Oh, I guess I had to be fifteen, 15 okay. and the guy who was driving the car was like sixteen. Sure, I uh, had a learner's permit, <laughs> and we stopped. and She had I remember she had just eaten a hot dog with. Uh, <laughs> Onions and mustard. <laughs> the best makeout uh, pre-op. Well, it, it satisfied so many urges. <laughs> you know, it was not only a delightful, uh, to have a first, to go like, oh, that's what lips feel like when you kiss them, but also, and that's one good dog. <laughs> <laughs> Did you end up dating that girl for a while? I did for a while. I did for a while. And then she dumped me for somebody who was older and more talented. Uh, Talented at what? (laughs) Uh, Someone who played the guitar very well. Uh, v- who sang very well But back then my, t- my talents had not emerged I was, I was just someone who drowned on the swim team <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't an actor at that point in
0: time Did you ever talk to her again? Like especially
2: after you, after you hit it big Did you ever talk to her? I, 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 I saw her again I want to say about 10 years ago, she came to Los Angeles, and we had Mexican food together, which is a great thing. And she, I have to say, she is still absolutely gorgeous, still absolutely gorgeous. And now what I believe she does is she writes, mm-hmm. and she writes poetry, and she also does travel uh, trips uh Author trips to Europe. Uh-huh. So she organizes, like, come see Charles Dickens home, come see this home, come do this. So um, she's very much into the literati kind of uh, excursions. What types of girls were there? Was, did you have a
0: type when you were in high school? And breathing.
2: Breathing. <laughs> 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 that was. <laughs> breathing. I, and I was not popular. I, <laughs> I, I was skinny and I had this thing where I had regular internal bleeding and, What? yeah, I was ill and, and I had acne and, and my mother felt it was a waste of time to buy clothes for me cause I was growing so tall. So I had the same clothes every day. I was not a catch. <laughs> I was not a catch, but, uh, I, I think I, it was, it was the illness. It was the illness I had cause the doctors told me I couldn't do sports anymore. And that it was too hard on me. They weren't too sure why I was having these internal hemorrhages. It was. It was. It wasn't a good happy. What was it? I don't know. It was. I have a theory. I was doing a play during the summer, right when I was about to turn thirteen. It was a play called. Uh, the Ghost of Hooten Holler, okay, uh, real biggie, and and the director <laughs> changed the title to the Ghost of Pumpkin Holler because she didn't want the audience to think it was too rowdy of a play. Sure, and Hooten really brings in a bad a bad element a, b- a, b- a bad element, and we won our little divisional title of first place and I won best actor and we had a celebration in her backyard and she said make sure you don't eat anything that falls on the grass because I just sprayed it for chinch bugs and I remember I sat in that grass eating watermelon and potato chips thinking this acting thing is opening up maybe we could take this hoot and holler thing on the road and that night I had these I don't know if this is suitable for all listeners. Yes, of course it's it is. Suitable. It is. Yeah. I had these terrible cramps, and I ran to the bathroom, and I was bleeding internally. And I screamed and got mom and dad. Dad was a doctor. And I, I had internal bleeding every day for the next two years. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't eat. So I went to all sorts of specialists. No one has ever heard this story, by the way. Oh, this is a... I'm I'm thrilled to... You mean in all the times of the Tobolowsky Files? It'll be in in a new one, but this I've never told. By the way, on the upside, you were chinch bug free. For two (laughs) years, no chinch bugs. Not a chinch bug on me. (laughs) No, I... So the thing was, I couldn't eat. I couldn't eat, and the doctors figured whenever the peristaltic action began, it eliminated lining of my intestine, and I began bleeding again. So he said, you have to stop eating. You have to stop eating this, that, the other. I couldn't eat cake, ice cream, any anything. I was anemic. I was weak. He said, you can't do sports. You have to stay indoors. I, I was becoming a shadow of my former self. And, but rather than if, if I had my wits about me, I would have been suicidal. I, I would have been so depressed. But I was a moron. I had no idea about how bad my condition was in. And I thought, well, let me, I could stay indoors. Let me, And I began reading plays. And I began reading Shakespeare for the first time. And I thought, well, this is great. And, you know, I bet you it was that crossroad, the kind of after that. After I got well again, when I was 15, I was in plays and not in sports. I was an actor and began doing uh, The Trojan Women and, and doing The Miser by Moliere and all these plays that we did at school, all because I think I had shifted gears. That's a, that's a pretty incredible story that if you, if,
0: you know, to lose that two years of your life to a malady of that sort, but then say, well, if I hadn't had that, my life would be much different now. It was
2: almost weirdly i wouldn 't want to say worth it, but kind of like it's changed your life oh well well don't you haven't you met a lot of people like that? uh I know I have people who've had cancer and things like that who said surprisingly the best thing that ever happened to me mm-hmm. uh don't and and you could sort of see it in a philosophical way why is because what 's bullshit is gone and what is valuable you cling to, and and you become refined and defined, and you move forward in a certain path. And I was too young to know what was happening to me, but, you know, I have this theory that people are, we look at our lives as a a form of simple arithmetic. And when we can view our lives as a form of, yeah, when we can view our lives as a form of addition. We're very happy. Mm-hmm. Like me sitting here talking to you, big-time addition. Very happy. Me with this, hey, I got free water. <laughs> very happy <laughs> here in Los Angeles. Guys. We have that in Los Angeles. <laughs> very happy with that. But when your life is subtraction, it's the other way around. Uh, and, and, you, and you could even be happy if you see your life as possible addition in the future. If you see, like, something good coming to you in the future, you feel happy. But if you see your life as subtraction, it's not so cool. And uh, everybody who listens to my podcast, you know, they they know the story of me and my broken neck of all that when I broke my neck in Iceland. Then it was a matter of, okay, I couldn't do anything and I lost – I couldn't work, so you lose money. My whole life was subtraction. In a way, this – period of time when i was young of 13 to 15 my life was a lesson in subtraction all of the things i did i couldn't do anymore and i i didn't know it but <laughs> life will find a way and yeah. i began to redefine myself
0: well i think you know part of that is i mean there are, i think there are things that maybe are obvious addition and obvious subtraction but then there are other things that i think are our perception of a situation being addition or subtraction, and uh, and a lot of people, and you know, I mean, you know, having been in the business for a long time, and you you probably see tons of you know you see tons of talented people come and go, and you go, I wonder where that person isn't doing more or isn't happier, isn't, and then you kind of get to know them a little bit, and you go, oh, because they see everything as in, to use your term, a subtraction, and that is a that is a devastating and
2: very destructive way to live your life. Yeah, you you, you can't do it. And I, I've developed a philosophy that's no philosophy at all, and that everything that happens to you is a door or is a prison. <laughs> I've seen both. I've seen people who have gone from nothing to enormous success, and they become imprisoned by the success. And I see people who – I have friends of mine who suddenly became vastly wealthy, and you think like, oh, cool. no. Imprisoned by the wealth, what do you think that is about the, the success and the wealth? it wow I think it is is maybe it could be that you let's just take success that 's a simple one because that's something that that you generate with other people like i've seen people get successful jobs on sitcoms. These are actors who couldn't get a job, were waiting tables, were finding life difficult. Suddenly, they get a big job on a sitcom. They're making 40 grand a week. The show is successful. They're making piles of money, and next time I see them, they are complaining that they have no freedom. <laughs> so, they went from not being able to do anything cuz they had no money to having money but having no freedom. Right. Now, now someone asked me the other day, as you can imagine kind of I get emails from a lot of people asking advice about different odd things and this one kid like well, kid he was in college he said he knew what he didn't like but he couldn't find the real him mm-hmm. the real me where what how do you define yourself and the only thing I could think of is that you really don't there is no real you there is no real me. We know what we like. We know what we don't like. But as you go through life, you have different prisons, different blessings, and you have to have the wherewithal to understand, my goodness, I'm in this trap. Sure. And, and move on. With money, how many times have you been shopping someplace either for cars or clothes and you don't want to get something because it costs too little? <laughs> you know, I want to. You know, I could get the sport coat that cost two hundred dollars. But I was I was shopping in New York, and I put on the sport coat at the store that we walk by, and I go, "This is a nice looking sport coat." Uh, I'm, and, sh- and the woman said, "Should we get the tailor out to look?" Maybe. And then my wife answered, "Wait a minute. Let me look at the price tag." $18,000. So you got two. I got two. Good. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> and they were both in blue. <laughs> in case co- I spilled spaghetti, yeah, I Yeah, Exactly, won. exactly. You want to have a backup. Could, could you... you imagine? The, the, okay, there you go. Here's a perfect example. So you get your $18,000 sport coat, and what a prison is that? Could you imagine eating Italian food with that sport coat? Could you imagine moths? Oh, my God, there's a moth in the house. Could you imagine, like... Driving in a car and you don't want to sit on the coat and you put it over. Oh my god, there's a wrinkle. Or taking it to the dry cleaners. What happens if they ruin it? The amount of stress that would enter your life with that eighteen thousand dollar coat. That's why it's
0: be- That's why you buy ten dollars sunglasses. <laughs> right. I'm probably gonna step on these. I'm gonna lose them, and it doesn't fucking matter. Like right. I'll find. I I I think, and I'm not saying I'm amazing at this, but but I do try to tell people, you know. The, you're happier when you uh, don't define yourself by the external reference in your life because that's all fluid and it comes and it goes and you can have success and you can have not success. You could have a nice car. You could have a shitty car. It doesn't matter. If you are not happy with the process of living, then it you do, It doesn't matter what you have. that. And then – I think the successful and the people who get the success and the wealth get more depressed because they go, Well, this didn't fix me. What the fuck is left? You know, so you really I find the people that are happiest just enjoy life. They enjoy the process. John Cryer was on the podcast yesterday and he had a great quote about uh you know, I just enjoy how dumb the entertainment industry is, and that's why I'm always happy, because I enjoy how silly the process is. And I've, of the hundreds and hundreds of people I've talked to, the ones that enjoy the process and just like, kind of see life as, a, as an adventure and sort of bend with whichever way it goes, those tend to be the happiest people.
2: Right, right. Now, I would agree with everything you say about material possessions – with one exception, and that is my Mercedes.
0: It's a nice car. it's a nice. car. I saw it in the parking lot. and
2: and and I this car has really changed my life. Tell me about it before when before I had this car, people would stop me at the gate of studios uh-huh. and they said, "Excuse me, sir. Uh, we don't have your name on our list." Uh, will you please just wait over here? When I went over there in the Forerunner, you know, just get it with the dog fur in it. Will you please just get over here, sir? When I drive up in the Mercedes, they think their list is wrong. I drive up in there and they go, uh, "Oh, your name's not on." I'm sorry, sir. Just go right in, please. Don't have me fired. Take the special entrance, please. Yeah, please. You could park in the handicapped spot, please. Just go ahead. So, yes, I so, meant everything but that. I'm e- sorry, everything yeah. but that, and. You get a lot of respect from the valets too. A lot of respect from valets. Uh, So, so there is something to my Mercedes, but but you can't have it. It's mine. (laughs) Uh,
0: No, I I I can understand that. But also, you know, it it is sort of uh, in in, in a creative industry. It's very difficult to because it's not as um uh it's it's not as cut and dry in terms of the path that you take it's very windy and circuitous and you never know and so sometimes the only thing you have is like oh well i guess i'm doing a, you know i guess the career is going fine i have this car you know and and i guess that's a way there are very few things that we can measure cuz there's there's no
2: uh Uh, Steady progression for us Absolutely One one thing people When I see either writers or actors They always ask for a a bit of advice And the one advice I give people is Do something Do something if you do something, you are already ninety-four percent ahead of the game because of all the people who talk about wanting to do something and don't do it. Absolutely, they don't do it. They don't write the book. They don't do the podcast. They they don't audition. They don't get their pictures. You 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 have to just step forward and do something. Uh, example. <clears throat> yeah, when when I had that horrible broken neck thing. Mm -hmm. So I broke my neck. I couldn't really do much. But it was because that doctor told me I had a fatal injury, right? He looked me in the eye and said I had a fatal injury, which is generally not good when you're looking at a living patient, to tell him something like that. (laughs) That's a bad... Bad, bad bedside manner. Yeah. (laughs) But I came home and I thought it was amusing. Yeah, like John Cryer. I thought it was amusing that the doctor told me I should be dead. And I thought, what if what he said was true? Why don't I begin, since I couldn't do much, why don't I start writing the stories down of what I would want my kids to know about me in case I had died? And, and I began the stories. And that became the Tobolowski Files. And that became the radio show. And that became the book with Simon and Schuster. All because I did something. And when my cousin Tina – Tina, and I love you. And I mean this. <laughs> I mean it. When my cousin Tina slipped and fell in Denver and broke her hip, and she called me up on the phone and she said, Stephen, do you have any advice on what to do when you have a major break? I'm going to be on my back. I said, yes. Don't watch television. Do something. Use that period of time. The greatest gift we have in the world is time. And the only way we can honor it is with choice. So you take this... Broad sheet of paper in front of you, and you do something. Uh, I said, Tina, either read some book that you always wanted to read and you never thought you would have time to read, Uh, listen to a type of music you would never thought you'd do anything before, write down your memories of when you were a child, something, do something. And after her three and a half months, she called me up on the phone. They took the cast off and the pins out of her leg and said, Stephen, you're going to be so disappointed. I just watched TV. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Was it even educational TV? No, no just so opera. Just
2: watch TV. <laughs> and, you know, what can you do? You can't. And it is 94% of the people will do not. They will do nothing. They won't do
0: it. And I don't have a problem with that in the sense that If someone just wants to watch TV all the time and that makes them happy, fine. But don't be the kind of person that goes, well, how come my life isn't better? And you kind of look at me and go, well, you know, there are certainly external forces, things that you can't control. You can control how you react to those things. But I think there is a percentage of your life that could be improved – If you really took a close look, wrote everything down and went, oh, I guess I don't need to watch TV three hours a night. I could go – I mean you should watch At Midnight from midnight to 12.30 uh, (laughs) or Talking Dead on Sundays when we're back. But outside of that, if you really really looked at your life – you, you would realize there are places where you could be doing
2: something to give yourself the life that instead of just being a complainer. Exactly. When when I Back to the broken neck. I, I made a vow to myself during this period of time, let me read something that I always said I should read and never have gotten around to, never would read it in a million years. And I picked the Jewish Talmud, like 71 volumes written in Aramaic 2,000 years ago, right? And of course... I've read eight volumes so far, but I started Still. reading it, and this is a line I came up with after sitting with my broken neck in the yard. It was <clears> – <throat> there is a story in which someone is injured. Of all, now, this written 2,000 years ago. Someone is injured and in bed, and someone – a friend comes and extends a hand to try to help this person. He extends the hand, and he says before he grabs him, Is your affliction dear to you? And the man in the bed says, no. And then the friend says, then take my hand. A lot of us, our afflictions are dear to us. We define ourselves by our afflictions. We define ourselves by our subtraction. When I first came out to L.A., it was amazing how cool we all were. (laughs) Young actors with no work, no agents, no prospects. And we were cool. We looked at other people as kind of like people who worked on sitcoms as sellouts, people who were in bad movies as losers. But we were like Nowheresville until we started getting our first jobs and then our friends called us sellouts (laughs) and losers. People wanting to embrace their affliction. Making it dear to them, so I'm I'm careful now with the things that people see. at What's wrong in their life? Because sometimes that's who they want to be seen as. Sure. Well, because it's if you define yourself by first of all defining
0: yourself by your afflictions is uh, it can be very comfortable to people. It's uh, and and discomfort. People spend a lot of time avoiding discomfort, so you will stay in a bad situation because it is familiar to you. Um, and on top of that when you are afflicted other people typically have to come deal with you it's very empowering to be afflicted and that's and that's where comfort comes in and and that's where you know so it is it
2: is a seductive path but you should absolutely not take it you know i never saw the social aspect of that before that's absolutely true and once some of us started getting work as actors you're right. The social things started to fall away and resentments built up and you were kind of a loner. You were kind of on your own after that. I have to think about that. I think that is great. I think that is great. It is a powerful social force to be a loser. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> kind of, because, I mean, you know, and, and and also when you look a lot at a lot of our
0: pop culture, you know, a lot of our most of our protagonists now are fucked up and flawed and and and, and despicable. You know
2: I mean it's It's sort of funny And then we identify With that We're like Oh yeah You know (laughs) Liam Neeson you know it in enough now that that he you know after Taken and Taken two I've seen Taken I think about thirty or forty times. Oh, you have? Oh gosh, yes. I mean, it is the most satisfying film I've seen <laughs> in decades. It, it's and 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 they were so clever in defining in finding a villainous group that they could beat up without offending anyone. <laughs> so what is it like, Albanians or something? It's, yeah, yeah. It, it's like Albanians. It's like it's time to knock those Albanians down a peg. <laughs> Damn it. You, you know, that it could be anybody. You, you know, but, but it was great. But late, the latest one, uh, Liam Neeson's film, he's still the same hard-ass, the kick-ass guy, but he's a drunk. You're right. The air marshal on nonstop. nonstop. He's the air marshal and he's flawed and everything on nonstop and he screwed up, but he still kicks ass on that pl- <laughs> on that plane. We need a hero that kicks ass even though they're flawed. You know what? I want
0: to see... Stephen Towaloski in Taken 4 I want oh. you to be the guy because I mean look Liam Neeson is he's a very on the nose badass guy but I think you calling someone and going hey you know I mean if you in a very genial manner you want to kidnap my family that's fine I i happen to I think actually would you please
2: say I have a special set of, set of skills I have a special set of skills <laughs> see and, and and you know, when people like me go off, you know, we don't do it in a cool way like Liam Neeson. We do it in a very uncool way, which can be very scary. Uh, I, I remember I was uh, talking to my girlfriend, Beth, years ago on her way home from play rehearsal, telling her, if somebody approaches you, you know, wants to rob you or something, just run. Don't. Confront. Just drop your purse. Run. You have nothing to do with these people. You know. Better be safe than sorry. We get to our house. I hear the back door slam. Next thing I know, I am standing in the backyard with a butter knife in my hand, saying, "Come on out, motherfucker. I'm here. Come and get some of this. Come and get some of this." And I'm going. And then I look, and I'm holding this damn butter knife. And Beth comes out and says, "Stephen, come inside." Come inside. There may be someone out there. Come inside. When people like us, when, when bald people with glasses go off, it is scary. <laughs> who was at your house? Did you ever find them? No, no, no. Did they take anything? Uh, no, but I suspect, I, I, I suspect that particular time it was either a friend of ours who liked to co- had a key to our house and was house sitting, and he was already out of earshot by the time I got out the back door. Or he would have come up and had a beer with me. I mean, you're. <laughs> or you're, maybe it was somebody
0: bad. You're very lucky. You're very lucky, but I do understand that I think there is some sort of a, an instinctual, I must protect my turf. But at the same time, that, you know, uh, I mean, unless you were good enough with a butter knife that you could l- throw it and lodge it in the barrel of a gun, um, m- maybe, maybe. Or uh,
2: unless we could just sit down and have some cheese and crackers. <laughs> come on in. <laughs> come and, on and, in. You you know, let's, let's
0: talk this over. We'll, we'll do a formal robbing and yeah, then we'll. we'll, we'll yeah, need that it, I don't really need that anymore.
2: You're doing us a favor by getting it out of here. It's terrible. Yeah, so, you, you know, when the instinct comes to be a badass, it's not a cognitive decision. It's a DNA thing that we have no control over. So, yeah, I think I could do Taken 4. By the way, if people want to hear – because obviously you,
0: you've you've worked on hundreds of things. And if people want to hear those stories – uh, I mean, I'm hesitant to start picking at you for for different things that you've worked on, because that's all in the Tubalaski files, which that's correct, which is uh, still produced by uh, distributed by PRI.
2: Uh, no, uh, right now we're just on uh, what iTunes and all that stuff. Yeah, okay. So we have a new one coming out. I think the one coming out is this week is the one kind of I started with you about my malady. Okay. That that'll be coming out this week called Maps of the Ancient World, but I think we have seventy now. Isn't that crazy? Seventy hours, and and they're played by different radio stations uh, across the country too. Sometimes, uh, that you know, I just hear from people like in Louisville that they have parties where they listen to Tobolowski Files and Dallas and Austin. It's just different places, but yeah, it, they're they're usually entertaining. I think. Is there what's your favorite
0: project? That maybe people aren't as familiar with, you know. That uh, that you know, because obviously I, everyone kind of has their favorites of things. Even, but like, what's your what's
2: your favorite? Like the favorite, <sighs> like kind of sleeper things that I've been involved in. There was one great movie I was in that no one has seen called Pope Dreams. Julie Haggerty's in it oh, with me. She's it's amazing. It's a wonderful script. It's a wonderful movie, and we. Went to a few film festivals. Um, it's uh, just wonderful, wonderful film. And, of course, I love, 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 which is also kind of a sleeper, Stephen Tobolowski's Birthday Party. Right. It even has my name in it, where uh, is the first storytelling movie I told where we've been all over the world with that in uh, film festivals. That's, that's a great, great movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, here comes the uh, throat again.
0: <coughs> I didn't, yeah.
2: and you also you co wrote true stories, right? Right, with David Byrne with David and Byrne. Beth Henley. Yeah, we we that was hysterical. We what what is it about producers? David hired. Me and then he hired Beth, and they said that they wanted a first draft in 19 days. <laughs> 19 days. So we're up for 24 hours, you know, writing, 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 writing. We hand him a first draft, and then we hear nothing for like a year. Oh, yeah, hurry up and wait. And nothing for a year. And then I see David riding his bicycle. Uh, up in the Hollywood Hills, he goes, "Oh, Stephen, oh, uh, I kind of uh, been rewriting uh, true stories, and we kind of took out everything you did, but but we, we're getting ready to shoot that soon anyway. <laughs> but I want to come over, I want to come over to your house anyway and play you some of the songs." And he came over, and I'll never forget him playing "Wild Wild Life" yes in my living room with his guitar, just doing. I'm going like, "Well, David, that's such a good song." <laughs> Man, that's good. And then uh he uh did a recording. I don't I I told David some of the ESP stories I had from my past. These strange ESP moments I had where I used to read people's tones. What? Yeah. Where where uh it, it's a hor- it's it's a scary awful horrible thing, but I was in college. And uh, we were at a, a movement retreat, and we were going around the circle, and our teacher was saying, say the first thing comes in your head, and the first guy goes hobbit, and the next guy goes far out, next guy goes weed, next guy goes hobbit, next guy <laughs> goes hobbit. I'm glad to know
0: things haven't changed no. at
2: all. Those are still the same things you would hear now. And he comes to me, and I said, I get that you're not who you say you are. I get your name is really... M-K or M-L. And then the, it goes around the circle, Hobbit, Far Out, Frodo, Beer, and it goes back around. So we disperse. Then we're headed out for our cars, and my teacher kind of corners me. He said, why did you say what you said? I said, well, I don't know. I, you, you said, just say the first thing that came into your head, that's the first thing that came in. He says, because it was right. I do have an assumed name, and my initials are M-K. Oh. And and I went, oh. He says, would you care to do an experiment with me? And I, I said, well, sure. He says, can you come over to my house? I have this thing I want you to try. So we, I went over with Beth over lunch the next day, and he had brought out this thing called a Japanese prayer stool. He says, it's a powerful instrument of psychic transport. Who knows? You know, it was some little stool. But we sat across one another in the stool. He says, take my hands. And I was averse to holding my teacher's hands at the time. <laughs> but anyway, I grabbed his hands, and he says, so what do you— I said, well, yeah, there's a five-year-old over here by the fireplace and a 40-year-old woman on the phone. And he got pale and stood up and started walking around the room. And I said, are you all right? And he said, well, it—I it... was— supposed to babysit my sister's five-year-old child. He was playing by the fireplace. I told him to get away from the fireplace, and he ran out of the house and was hit by a car. Oh, my God. And my sister, at the age of 40, committed suicide on that phone. She called me up and and killed herself while she was talking to me Jesus. on her 40th birthday. So all of a sudden, I'm going like, Mofo. Well, we didn't have that expression back then. No, but that I was think whatever the, equi- the time-appropriate equivalent was. So my girlfriend, Beth, at the time thought, we have a real money-making thing oh, here. No. You know, we'll have people pay a quarter or a dollar or whatever and have you read their tone. So she instantly saw dollar signs while your teacher Bing. is melting down. Bing! So So <laughs> she would round up people, bring them into the green room or whatever— and you would think it would be funny, but I would go like, uh, you just got an inheritance and you want to know how you're going to spend that money. And they would get up and cry and everybody would have these creepy, creepy, creepy feelings. And Beth would Beth loved me for it. And she thought like, this is so cool. What are my tones? And and I quit. I, I said, I got to quit doing this because this is way creepy and I don't really like it. So while that 19 Furious Days that we were working on true stories, uh, Beth says, tell tell David – because David wants to put all these true stories in his movie, Stephen. Tell him the true story about you hearing tones. And I said, no, baby, no, I don't want – no, tell him the story about you hearing – so I sat and told David the story of me hearing tones And he looks, and says, you're a kid? (laughs) And I said, no, David, that's really the story, but I don't do it anymore. I don't like to do it anymore. It was too creepy, and I don't like to do it anymore. So anyway, sure enough, a year later, David has written into true stories a character that hears tones, and he wrote the song. That day he came over and played Wild Wild Wildlife, he says, here is a song I wrote for you, Stephen. And we put it in the thing, and it was Radiohead. (gasps) I'm picking up something good, Radiohead. I know the song because Radiohead named themselves after that song. So Radiohead got their name from the song David Byrne wrote based on my psychic experiences (laughs) when I was in college.
0: Does Tom York know this story?
2: ah uh, i i don't know
0: <laughs> he owes you a lot that's that is an incredible that's incredible
2: it's incredible and uh oh it was it was weird but but you know i've had these psychic things through my life and and it it doesn't make me believe that in magic but it has made me- believe, you know everything is a door everything is a prison it makes me think that We are bigger than the sum of our parts that the thing you can't define yourself Mm -hmm. because you are not you. And it keeps changing and it's bigger than what you imagine you are. And which is why you shouldn't watch television. (laughs) Don't watch television. You're bigger than that. But I, I do you know,
0: if I if I were to extrapolate any meaning from this kind of a thing, I I I am more than I am more than capable of justifying something like that by saying, "Hey, you know, we are just a collection of vibrating molecules, and you know, if there if there are frequencies, if if we if we emanate some type of frequency, and someone else is sensitive to that, it doesn't. I mean, hocus pocus. I always think is just science that they haven't nailed down yet. So. I
2: exactly, think there's something sciency behind it. it, it and it, and believe me, if you have any kind of psychic stuff, it doesn't pay off. My my, <laughs> believe me, there's no big payday at the end of this. My wife Anne, uh, she wanted to do a real special birthday thing for me, so she didn't want to tell me anything about it. And I got this real clear hit in my head, and and she said, you know, just uh, dress up like you know you're going to meet the president or something you know just just wear something nice and uh and i went like oh motherfucker (laughs) so i said ann i think i know what this is and i tell you i'm gonna write this is just i'm gonna write down on a piece of paper put it in a sealed envelope and put it on your desk so we'll all know that i'm right or wrong So we get in the car, and she says, I'll give you directions. So we start driving, and we start driving downtown. And I went, oh, no, please let me be wrong. And we get to downtown, and we drive to uh, Disney Hall. Uh And I go, we park underneath. And she said, just park underneath here. Uh, We're going to meet some friends for lunch here. No, no, please don't. We get on the elevator and we go up to the concert hall and there is a grand piano. And she says, your birthday present is you get to play on the grand piano in Disney Hall for the next hour. And she had she had a friend come and bring my music and I went out on the stage and I started playing. And she went home and opened the fucking envelope and it said, taking me to Disney Hall to play on the piano. <laughs>
0: That's crazy.
2: And she was furious. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the traditional birthday party sex. Didn't happen. Didn't happen you, that night. You, probably, you could have written underneath, P.S. You're not going to have sex with me after reading this. So she said, so were you like what? snooping on my computer what were you doing were you reading my emails what were you doing were you looking behind my b- I said no baby I'm so sorry I, I, I just it was just one of those things that I just saw it in my head and I wrote it down and it just turned out to be true and there was no happiness <laughs> there no joy in Mudville that no, day. no no mighty Stephen had struck out yeah. but you did get to play in Disney Hall I did get to and play how th- how was that it was amazing. When when you play the piano in Disney Hall, for you people out there who play the piano, you'll know what I'm talking about. You hear the report of of the treble keys off that back wall. Even, even when you're playing pianissimo, can I use those mm-hmm, foreign do. words? Yeah, we're not afraid. Even when you're playing like as quietly as you could possibly play, you hear that report come off that back wall the same way a comedian does. Like last night I did a sitcom. Yep. The same way you do when you're on stage with the audience there and you have laugh lines that you're trying to get and you feel the laughter. It's the same way at Disney Hall when you're playing the piano. You feel the report coming back to you. It's, 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 it's a one, it, was a, it was one of the greatest birthday presents I ever got.
0: Well, at least you got to enjoy that part, of oh. it, even though even though you kind of knew what it was. <laughs> I knew I was headed for trouble. I do like the idea that that uh, that that type of psychic uh, thing is it's like you don't want this. Trust <laughs> me. No, because then there's the other thing. There's the other sort of matrix thing of you know, would you have knocked over that thing if I hadn't told you? Like. Is there any part of you that ever worries, well, what if this is just a self-fulfilling prophecy and I – and like maybe it's true or maybe it's not true and there's a series of infinite possibilities of how this could play out. But subconsciously I choose – you know, like the sort of difficult in the, in the sense of you guessing what your wife is going to get you for your birthday. But I, I wouldn't want that power because
2: I would get too much in my head about whether or not it was – And whether uh, – what if you depended on it. Right, then you would be wrong, and if you were wrong, then it becomes the prison there There was a story of a girl in Finland a woman no, she was a woman woman in Finland who was started speaking this ancient Finnish dialect, and everybody thought she had past lives, and she thought she had past lives and What the investigation uncovered was, as a child, her mother would pick her up from school and she would sit in the library and read these old Finnish folk tales. And her mind memorized the, this language, this ancient Finnish language, and she didn't even remember it, but her brain remembered it. it it's like I was riding to the bank on my bicycle. I had $17,000 in three checks that I was taking to the bank. This was, this was a lot of money for us. Still is a lot of money for us. And I felt so virtuous riding to the bank, and I get in line, and I pull out the deposit slip, and the checks are gone. And they had all been endorsed, all gone. I ride my little bicycle home, and Ann said, well, if you have that psychic ability, you better come up with where the checks are. (laughs) And I said, just be quiet a second. Just be quiet. And I stopped, and I saw the checks. I said, I see the three checks. They're up against a hurricane fence. They're up against a hurricane fence. And so I will ride my bicycle the same route and try to find where there would be a hurricane fence. So I'm riding down, uh, I guess, Riverside. And I think, wait a minute, L.A. River. L.A. River has hurricane fence around the— So I parked my bike and ran down to the river and went along, and there were the three checks stuck up against the fence by the wind, endorsed, picked him up, put him in my pocket, went back to the bank, deposited him. But I saw it in my head. Now doesn't happen all the time or i wouldn't be an actor would i i'd I'd have a better job with more security i wouldn't be auditioning for these parts because i knew i wasn't gonna get them anyway i hope you at
0: least got birthday sex after finding the checks again
2: i mean that was an incredible let me tell you out there if you're listening out there Finding check sex is much better than birthday sex.
0: <laughs> that, is, that is a double victory. That is a double victory. But also, uh, I love that you were still riding your bike in Los Angeles, <laughs> which to me is a
2: very dangerous place to be a cyclist. Don't do it anymore. Learn that lesson. <laughs> did no. You get, did you get hit by No, your... no, I didn't get hit. But I, I only did it that time because I felt virtuous because I had, I had earned $17,000. Yes. So I felt like, okay, I've done my financial health. Now let's work on my physical health. <laughs> yeah, that. not going to do that anymore. It's too dangerous. I don't see how people do it. Yeah, it, it's, I've
0: had many friends get run off the road, hit by cars. People in Los Angeles just don't. You know, every every city says like, oh, our drivers are the worst. L.A. drivers are very bad. You know, even New York, as frenetic as it is, people seem to have understand how to create order from the chaos. There don't seem to be any lanes on the streets of New York. If your car can fit, it's a fucking lane. But they all (laughs) know that. Here, there's just a general like the. St- are, we don't. We're not on a grid. The streets aren't well
2: planned. They're not maintained. It's 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 a fucking disaster here. Pe- people don't drive that fast in New York. It seems fast because the roads are so bad. Right. I mean, they bounce a lot, and the cars have no suspension. But in LA, you could get up ahead of steam. Yeah, you could you could be driving thirty forty miles an hour and hit that cyclist. You 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 can do that. <laughs> you can knock him for a loop. But I've I've had friends. Boy, I've had several friends who were hit on their bicycles, hit by bicyclists. Bicy- you, you know, it's, it's – it's, when people paint this beatific world where we're all riding bicycles, I don't buy it. You know, to me, that's like, you know, swimming with the sharks. You don't
0: – Well, in L.A. Know. particularly because it's just so spread out. <laughs> you no. Know? It's so spread out. You know, if I lived in Portland maybe or, you know, I was I was Too just- hilly. To, uh, it is kind of hilly. I was just hilly. in uh, Madison Wisconsin, which is a lovely town, which you could easily be a cyclist in. Easily be a cyclist there if you can handle the humidity. Well, and also if you can handle uh 8 months of uh, freezing <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh but uh but in general, um are there things like what do you what do you want to do still? Like what do you when you look back on your life, you go, okay, I've done everything I want to do. You go, no, I've done a lot of stuff,
2: but I, there's still so many things that I still want to still want to do. Yeah, the, the me, the changing me, the dot that's changed me. I used to be someone who only wanted to do theater and then someone who only wanted to act. Now the me is I want to write, and that's all I like doing. Uh, Dangerous Animals Club, uh, a, a book pretty much of some of my stories that were on the podcast, and now I have a new book at Simon & Schuster, that uh, you this, this medium here, uh, the podcast medium, is instantaneous. The literary medium is like glacial. Yeah. Uh, I had 15 months to write this book. I wrote it. I turned it in. My editor has been reading it now for four months. Then I get, you know, he gives suggestions for rewrites and things like that. I have three months to answer those suggestions, then he does the, we do it again, then it goes to copy editors twice, then they pick the paper, then they pick the design, and you are dead before the book comes out. So, but what I love now is, I love literature, and I love writing probably more than anything. If, when, when you perform live, time exists in a certain frame. And, and like here on this podcast, you know, time exists in a certain manner that we're sitting here talking. When you write, time moves much more quickly. The human eye and the human mind moves far more quickly in terms of communication. And it is such a challenge to begin to tell the story and keep ahead of the reader. And it is a mystery and a challenge. So this is, this is the new vast frontier for me is hopefully getting to write more I love it I love the process I love telling a story I'm I'm kind of a solitary kind of person anyway I'm not uh, a gadfly I don't like the parties I don't like going out after dark uh, you know I just don't I like getting up early in the morning and writing and that's what I love that's where I hope to be in five years is is sitting at home writing still so so
0: what are the what are the things that you've done okay so we know we know you're a pianist we know you write music we know you're a writer we know that you uh have uh esp and we know that you're an actor what else what are some other things about you i just i feel like you're someone who has like a thousand things that you like to try a lot of different things play with a lot of different things master a lot of different things so what are some other things well i'm a
2: I'm a bad writer of music. The music I write is terrible. So, so that I put – but I'm, uh, I like to direct. Mm-hmm. So I direct plays and things. Uh, I'm a pretty good director at that. I, when I was young, I wanted to be a scientist. So I wanted to be a geologist, and I still study science and geology. I'm fascinated with uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. And, and so I love studying ideas and reading about ideas. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, again, you're dealing with the addition-subtraction thing. As I have gotten older, I have become limited by my increasing decrepitude. The thing about decrepitude, <laughs> for the you people out there who are becoming more decrepit as the <laughs> clock ticks, is you never are able to identify the beginning of decrepitude. You end up right in the middle of decrepitude before you even know what happens. I was walking through the park, and my leg gave way, just gave way. I drew a crowd. Like people get. you need any help, sir? (laughs) They call you, sir, want us to call an ambulance. No, no, I'll get home. I ended up that I tore my meniscus. Oh, shit. Shit, yes, indeed. Walking through the park. I go to I go to the job clinic, you know, where all those athletes go to look at their injuries and they said, "Well, this happens when you get your age. You know, it just oh. happens." And and I said, "Well, what can I do about it? Surgery? No, no, that that has its own problems too. It's just going to be something you're going to have to manage oh. over time, you know. Just be careful." Be careful of sport. Once again, it's like be careful like of sports. Sports back in that. But see, I had experience between thirteen and fifteen. You did of of turning down the sports, so I will be able to rechannel my life in another way. But you have to start managing your limitations, and that's a form of addition, isn't it? it? It I I think most people would. A lot of people would
0: probably say it's a subtraction. But how do you? But how do you see it as an addition? So that being people able to
2: manage. Your Being
0: able to manage subtraction is an addition.
2: Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, instead of being a victim of your subtraction, like, I have a missing tooth back here that they're going to do one of those implants, titanium implants. Yep. So now I'm like Uncle Joe, who's moving kind of slow, spitting tobacco out the hole in his tooth back there. <laughs> I, I have these legs that I can't run on. I've had open heart surgery. Uh, I've had a broken neck. I've had all this stuff, but I have managed my subtraction in such a way uh, that I can still sit back and watch House Hunters with the best of us. <laughs> and, and you know go, House Hunters International? Oh, yeah. That's my dirty
0: pleasure. I love it when they go to Bulgaria, and then it's they look at all the apartments, and then they're basically... <laughs> These dirt <laughs> caves that have nothing, no no, no bathroom fixtures, no toilets, and then they come back like three months later, quote unquote, and it's just like it's a completely transformed,
2: <laughs> completely transformed space. And I look at it, you know, it's like these horrible, ob- but you know what I do is, I get that... Uh, last channel switch and i go to the weather channel so i watch i watch uh house hunters international them building a place in honduras and then i switch over to the weather channel to see if their place was hit by a hurricane yet <laughs> you're just checking out i go back and forth i toggle back and forth are they still there still there no probably not or it's it it's amazing to me how expensive those places are in Bulgaria. Yeah. I mean, you go to, they have a hanging light bulb, they have a goat in the hallway, and they said it's going to cost you $9,000 a month to rent this place.
0: What? And the goat's extra. The
2: goat is <laughs> oh, extra. Oh, yeah, the it goat does, doesn't come with we it. We can negotiate. BYOG. <laughs> we can negotiate with the former owner on the goat. Uh, actually, correct that. The
0: goat is the former owner. So you're going to have to negotiate with him, bring candy. <laughs> uh, what is a so? Give me a, a couple different directions. First, being um, to see uh, getting older as an addition is a very wonderful philosophy because it's not like if we're lucky, if we are lucky, we'll get there. It's not like you have a choice. Time marches forward, we get older. That's how it is. You know, obviously, we hold on to one of the things that we spend a lot of our time with is holding on to the The youth part of it, when I was younger, I blah 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 you know, so you know what I, but I feel like there's real value and there's real merit in just sort of uh, embracing you know where 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 you are and not and not trying to fight
2: so hard so how did you how did you learn to do that? yeah well, I don't know if I have that there is something that einstein. Al, uh, uh, Albert Einstein, that guy, uh, the the E equals M C square guy. He wrote these essays when he was younger on moral philosophy and all the all these kind of things too. And in one of his earlier essays, he said that there are two things that we are sure of as people: one, we are overwhelmed with the meaninglessness of life; we're hit constantly daily like does this is this going to add up to any purpose is this going to matter at all and at the same time with the same mind and the same insight we see enormous design in the huge shapes that surround us in the animal in the in the evolution of the animal kingdom in the stars in in as a scientist looking into subatomic world we see all sorts of order this is wait a minute there's enormous order around me, There's enorm- and order equates as purpose mm-hmm. in our head. We see order as purpose. So we're hit with this complete lack of purpose, and we're hit with this complete sense that we are in the middle of a sea of purpose, and there is this tightrope wire that connects the two, and the tension between these two is belief, and it is what you believe I think is what will give you strength to carry forward through the ages of subtraction. It um, you 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 have to. What is it, Bob Dylan? You got to serve somebody, serve the devil, serve the Lord. you know, you in your life, you are going to end up believing in something that you have no proof for. You're going to believe in something invisible, whatever it is. Be it science, be it God, be it poetry be it something invisible and that will either pull you through or will not pull you through and for me i've i've jumped around in my life i've jumped around and i see how the wisdom of solomon like in the bible of saying all is vanity and i go like Man, and he didn't even live in L.A. <laughs> you could see it everywhere. The, like, on the set yesterday, everybody taking selfies. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy obsession, and it started off with all the, all the people who didn't have a lot. Uh, like, and on the set, you see it too, like extras. People on the crew; those are the people that would take selfies. And then it jumped to the elite group—the producers and the heads of the studio. They're taking selfies, and all the people in the middle, who are working and everything, they usually don't. Yeah, and and why was I saying that about it? It is, um, boy, I don't know. I lost my selfie. You were track. You, you were talking about uh, purpose versus purpose is
0: not purpose. And then that we that we find some meaning in this otherwise meaningless world. Your belief
2: controls. And 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 here again, taking a selfie is an example. Says I want this moment that is meaningless to have some kind of meaning. Oh yeah. So I'm saying like here I am. I met fucking R2D2 in the (laughs) lobby.
0: But you know what's interesting is that (laughs) the 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 net result of the net res. Oh, this is so fucking weird. I've never thought of it this way. The, maybe this won't be a, a startling point to anyone. The net result of trying to create meaning in an otherwise meaningless situation means that you're not experiencing the situation because you're trying to give the situation meaning. So you are therefore rendering <laughs> the meaningless inert because you are trying to preserve it. It's almost uh, it's almost a Heisenberg uncertainty principle of of,
2: of socializing. It's a strain. What an in- what a fucked up bizarre. So do the people out there, do they know about the uncertainty principle? I that, would imagine if that, you know podcast, one of yeah they You know you, one of two things. You know, know one of two things, yeah. They are either where you are mm-hmm. or where you're going. Position and direction. Right. Where you are or where you're going. And, uh, hey, you know that? <laughs> there's, there's a good answer to that college fellow who wrote me. You know one of two things uh, in college in trying to find the real me? You know where you are? Or you know where you're going, but you can't know both. <laughs> it's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. And and that is,
0: you know, for uh, it's and it's kind of funny because the the, the this, this quantum physics doesn't behave like it doesn't behave the way big things behave. But I still feel like there are principles that care that we express, and so in a way we are we
2: are that. Oh, we are totally that. And I think. I, I think even though people in quantum physics say, well, that world that nano world operates differently than our world, I see the quantum world e- existing totally in the way people interact. Uh, one of the the great examples people gave of explaining the quantum world is flipping the coin, like when the referee flips the coin at the beginning of the Super Bowl, that it is both heads and tails at the same time, right but once You call it, and once it lands, you not only define your choice, and the coin not only tells you whether you win or lose, but it defines the relationship you have to the coin. If you call heads and it's heads, it defines your relationship to the coin and to the other team. And I think that's what happens with everything we do in life. It's this flipping coin, and as soon as we make the choice— Hey, what did I say? Do something. As soon as you do something, it is stopping that coin and creating a relationship, and it creates your relationship with the world in which you say, "I do something," instead of "I'm someone who watches House Hunters." International.
0: <laughs> what if? Well, of course, you have to make the meaningless meaningful, and that's what House Hunters International does. Uh, what if? What if? He, what if choice is? The the unifying field theory between the quantum world and the cosmological world. Like, what if the idea of like, what's the unified field theory? What what relates the way that very small things interact with the, versus the way the very big things interact? And what if it? What if there's? What if we're the key somehow? What if we were placed here by some alien species? To develop and ultimately be the key, the connection point between the quantum world and cosmology. Has anyone used your ESP? What's happening?
2: (laughs) Well, you had me until the aliens came. Shit, okay. Well, X-Files is in production now, and that's where my brain went. You gave a perfect rendering of medieval philosophy. Medieval philosophy of the earth being at the center of the universe, mm-hmm. you know, we being here, that mankind was here. And if you, if you see those plates of glass of windows of the layers of seven heavens, mm-hmm. uh, the, the seven heavens correspond to the seven spheres that they thought existed then, right? And the earth was the third sphere, uh, that's because they were wrong, right? <laughs> they were wrong, and they thought there were only seven planets because they didn't know how many planets. But the, the third sphere, uh, cosmologically, in medieval cosmology, is the sphere of pain and is the sphere of trial. And what did you just say? This is so fucked up! <laughs> and, we, uh, and again, we are in medieval cosmology that we are at the sphere of trial. And we can make choices uh, to try to get through our trial. We can make choices to try to change our subtraction to addition. But we are in the sphere of trial, and that's what any good person in the medieval times would believe. So I'm with you on that. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, I am a medievalist, too. I, 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 I certainly appreciate it. But as you're
0: describing that, thing, I'm like, oh, yes, of course. I'm a human being. Of course I think we're the center of the universe. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> of course, I, this is a very fallacious uh, here, point here of view. Is something,
2: Well, except here is something wild. This, this is something wild about extending beyond what we are and who we are. Uh, for years, everybody has said spiders make a web, mm-hmm. right? And they put gooey stuff on some of the strands and not gooey stuff on the other so the spider can navigate the web without getting stuck in her own web. Well, that was until, like, some scientists, and I think it's an old experiment. I think it's over 10 years ago. A scientist said, wait a minute. We're looking at this like us human beings are the center of the world. We're looking at it with a human being brain and human being eyes. What if we looked at it the way an insect looks at a spider web? And so she concocted this thing with with lenses because they have, what, compound eyes Mm -hmm. and they see different spectra of light in which... She photographed a spider web using insect vision. And what did it become? The area where the spider had put sticky stuff became an image. And where there was no sticky stuff, vanished. And it became the image of a flower. Oh. And the spider in the middle of the flower became the pistol, or that that thing in the middle. You are blowing my fucking mind. No. But, get this. The spider doesn't have the same optic system of an insect. They have those eight eyes. on the, They're not insects. They're arachnids. They have the eight eyes on the front of their head, right? So the spider painting with sunlight on a web is creating an image that it hopes this insect, that it does not know or understand, will see and be attracted. So if the spider paints the web beautifully and, and in a way in which it fools the insect the spider will live and will eat. If the spider does not create a proper web in sunlight, she will die. So it is the superior artist who lives.
0: Oh, And also, uh, beautiful things will kill you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that. <laughs> what an incredible...
0: That's such a wonderful way to... I mean, there, there, there are philosophical extrapolations from the, from nature and from these – is, is, is that your particular field of interest? Is, is, is that type of nature philosophy? Well, that's I'd so like, fascinating.
2: It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. I, I like all stuff. but But the more we get to the atomic world, I really love the atomic world. And I love that stuff. But I feel the atomic world, you know, that's what we are. And – it's it's all one thing. I was just reading last week a new article about uh, these pitcher plants. that capture ants, right? Right in South America.
0: They, the liquid in the yeah. so
2: there was this one pitcher plant that they the people were dissing. They were saying it was a lame ass pitcher plant. <laughs> they said what? what a, they said like it's not that sticky and. The lips aren 't good, and the ants are they trolling the yeah, barn? trolling the pitcher plant, <laughs> and the ants get run in and out of it. that was until it rains because of the construct of the pitcher plant, once it rains the the uh, the nectar within the pitcher plant is not really much nectar. Because it doesn't want to waste resources. But once it rains, the lame design of the pitcher plant makes it almost impossible for the ants to leave. And because the pitcher plants are so lame at being pitcher plants, more ants go into them. So once it rains, they feast. And they devour everything. Which means the pitcher plant, which has less brains than a spider which, I mean, has the brain the size of a needle, and the spider is able to understand the, the optic system of an insect, which still doesn't have our brains, but the pitcher plant that has no brain at all not only understands the behavior of ants, that they will swarm if it's an ineffective pitcher plant, but it also understands the nature of rain. It also understands that once it rains... And it has designed itself in such a way that the rain will make it impossible for this army of ants to escape them. This this pitcher plant knows all things that are important to the pitcher. The pitcher plant probably thinks it's at the center of the damn universe. (laughs) Well, I do –
0: Relate to this particular type of pitcher plant, because I feel like I only thrive in inclement <laughs> weather uh, but 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 then I also think well you know we 're placing a lot of value within the the perceived choices of the pitcher plant maybe maybe the ants are responsible because the ants going into something that they don 't perceive as a threat create uh, this sort of you know they, they, they kick the natural selection into gear.
2: That, that makes those types of plants more viable. You just said it. You just said it. You just said it. You just answered the question. You just did it right here, right now. You just answered the question. That's what choice is. Choice is our way to bypass natural selection. <laughs> it is. It is evolution is the pitcher plant's brain. Right, the pitcher plants that are more efe- more efficient and look better, they die out because they don't end up being able to kill a herd of ants. And the spiders, the ones that don't become good artists, they die. And in Iceland, the horses that throw people off their backs, they get eaten. They become hot dogs, very good hot dogs. Uh, you can buy them there. <laughs> good for, good for uh, hot in, dog makeup. In Selfoss, there is a hot dog stand that the wonderful hot dogs that I think have horses in them, but. <laughs> But <laughs> choice is our way of bypassing natural selection. We make the choice to say we're going – I'm not going to live my life in Dallas and work and struggle there in theater. I'm going to come out to Los Angeles and try to become an actor. I'm going to try to write my stories. I'm, going to try to, I'm making certain choices that bypass evolution, we hope. You know that is that is the whole idea of science that is and the, medicine. That is right? the most
0: you can do, and then circling it back to what you said at the beginning of the podcast: your choice to do something is the
2: the the ultimate power that you have in the universe. Yeah, it is the biggest gift we have is time, and the only way we can honor it is with choice. Is what I said, and. That is right. The most power we have is choice. So use it and use it wisely.
0: And also, if you're going to put horse in your hot dogs, I think mm. they should be called hot ponies. <laughs> that's, just my, that's just my opinion. I, I, think hot, I think it would catch on and I feel like people should do it. I also think you should call a book The Age of Subtraction. Because that was a very good phrase.
2: That's a good
0: phrase. Yeah, and that's yours. So you should do something. You could age, do something with that. The
2: age of subtraction. I'd love that. Not
0: to get too much like my mom on you. Like you should do something no. with
2: that. But I think the age of
0: subtraction. I don't know. What, you know. I just think it's. If I heard that about that, is an intriguing title. I want to know what that book is. Maybe. Maybe that is your fictionalized account of the, uh, the philosophical implications of choice.
2: Maybe that's, maybe that's sort of... I love that title. That is a fabulous title. I'm going to steal that from you via me. Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please just let it, be, let it be a handoff. And how
0: strange it is, and somehow I've managed to not mention it the entire podcast, that uh, one of my favorite films of all time, Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day
2: is about nothing but Choice. Choice. Groundhog Day is about nothing but choice, absolutely. And when I first read that script, you know, it wasn't so clearly about that. What it was was an excuse for Bill Murray to have no consequences. And one crazy event after another and Bill robbing banks and Bill with women and stealing cars and all of this stuff. And then at the end, he gets bored with it, tries to kill himself. That doesn't work and then decides not to be a jerk. But it was, you know, Harold Ramis – Danny Rubin, a week into shooting, said, "What are we doing here? We're we're telling the story of how we use our time. Let's get." To... And they completely redid the script, and we were getting pages hot off the presses. I mean, while we were shooting, first second day, we're going like, "Oh my God, what are we a part of? This is so awesome!" And it became it became the film we know today. After we were shooting. That that they took it they took the work
0: seriously. Well, wasn't it isn't it isn't the idea based on? I'm sure I'm butchering this, so I apologize, internet. I I was understand that it was based on a was it a Chinese proverb that it takes ten
2: thousand years for a man to change. I I I'm not sure if it was based on that because. Uh, but but you you are right in its essence in that uh, uh, Harold Ramis who was a practicing Buddhist said that it takes ten thousand years for the human soul to perfect itself, oh. and so when they say how long does how long is Bill Murray trapped in 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 Woodstock or Puxitani wherever he was trapped in the movie it's Puxitani for real, it was Woodstock, and we were trapped uh, <laughs> but the, and they have all sorts of theories that there were nine days, there were 44 days, someone says 166 years, and they worked all this stuff out. And Harold Ramis told me, no, Stephen, it's 10,000 years. Wow. It's 10,000 years based on whatever that idea is that it takes 10,000 years for a human soul to perfect itself. Uh, but that's how he was able to play the piano so well
0: well and also uh at the end to actually care about other people and have devoted his life to really sort of that idea which i assume it comes from his from um from Harold's buddhist uh buddhist faith that uh you know the true value in life is contribution you know and that that's how he chose to spend the last remaining years is just making that town a better place
2: in as much power as he had to make those choices. He did something. He did something. And he spent his whole day doing something, whether it was saving the kid falling from the tree or saving the mayor choking on the piece of steak, trying to keep the old man alive, helping the old ladies with their flat tire. He was doing something with his life, and by doing that, he had nothing but gain. Yeah, Nothing
0: became. It was all addition. You, you satisfying – not that you shouldn't do things to your, for yourself and be happy, but if you just focus on yourself, if you just, as Yes used to say, surround yourself with yourself, you are a dead end. You are a cul-de-sac because you have to be a part of this this community – to then thrive for the next gener- like you're just not going to be happy just trying to satisfy your own whims all the time. Yeah,
2: unless you have a really good Mercedes. Unless you
0: have a great Mercedes. That's right. That gets like that if you don't have that then I don't know what to tell
2: you. <laughs> you're lost. If you have you're that lost, yeah. then everything's fine. Yeah, it and and I I have found that when when I've been limited by circumstance I have find that the body adapts very quickly to the new boundaries, like when I had the broken neck. Yeah. You, the body adapts to the new boundaries of what you have, and you fill those boundaries. Uh, Victor Frankl, who survived Auschwitz, uh, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, which I think is one of the greatest books ever written. If you've never read it, you have to read Man's Search for Meaning, and it's short. It's amazing. Uh, But one of the things he says in that book is that sorrow operates like a gas. It fills every available space. And the same thing, too, with meaning. Meaning can fill every available space. If you're able to fill your life with meaning, you will have a successful life, like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. He filled his day with meaning. It wasn't climbing to the top of the weather channel or whatever – You know, Phil Connors expected he was going to get being a celebrity weatherman, but he achieved meaning in his life and consequently he found that kind of uh, fullness. It's interesting in Judaism, you know, the word uh, shalom, which everyone says means peace or hello, but also another meaning of shalom is complete, whole. And so people seek Completeness to feel complete, which is why, you know, the poor man's complete is getting drunk and passing out. Yeah. You know, that's the poor man's complete. You know, I'm done. I'm full. I'm done. That's. I also feel like the word integrity
0: is always misused because people assume that it has a certain value where they go oh integrity means someone's a good person it doesn't mean that it means wholeness it means something is whole it means something is complete (laughs) so if someone has integrity it doesn't mean they're a good person it just means that they're consistent with whatever their with their thing is they're structurally intact
2: yes 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 Uh, another another thing people ignore is, is ignorance ignorance right ignorance As meaning stupid, as opposed to they ignore. They ignore. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse. It's that you, it isn't that you're a dummy and you don't know the law, but it's not an excuse if you ignore the law. Right.
0: So if I kick someone in the face that's not okay
2: that's not okay
1: man. but i
0: didn't know that wasn't okay before so <laughs> the ignorance of the law is surely, not an excuse surely that means that i can get away with stuff because i didn't know no and don't call me shirley all right oh such a good call <laughs> such a good reference are there ever other movies where you watch like when you watch airplane you're like fuck i wish i was in that movie
2: oh gosh i i i I don't know. It's so perfect. It's one of the perfect movies, and and I watched Julie's performance in that time and time and time again, and I am amazed at how you know everybody thinks of that as the wackiest, dudelist kind of movie in the world. But her character is so real mm-hmm. in that movie. It is amazing. Uh, no,
0: everyone is super real. Super real. That was they were all they were all playing drama in a ridiculous setting. In a ridiculous That's why it was so good. They weren't there was no awareness. The only person who was slightly aware in that movie was Ted Stryker, aka Robert
2: Hayes, who would occasionally wink to the camera, but everyone else was in it. And and now you know uh, Sigmund Freud was talking about the different types of comedy, and he says the shortest shelf life of comedy is satire, which is comedy, you know, of our age, you sure. know, like Saturday Night Live or whatever. Can you believe how many things in airplane people aren't going to know what the hell they're doing anymore? Like, like the service where they're cleaning the windows right. of the airplane. <laughs> like there's no full service anymore. Like no. No, but nobody does the filling station like that anymore. No. Uh, the, the, smoking or non smoking. You You're know, right. you, you don't have smoking on airplanes anymore. No. No. Now it's, uh,
0: you can't just meet someone at their gate.
2: Right. It's, you can't meet someone okay. at the gate and everybody running to the gates. They don't have pay phones. No pay phones. You know, it's, it's all gone. It's Way a, to miss the boat, airplane, <laughs> on what was going on now. I just, it, I just tell that, you know, to people uh, who, in my comedy class and things like that who, who are writing things. I said, be careful about, you know, if you do a popular reference because in about six weeks, people aren't going to know it anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah
2: it's going to be gone
0: unless unless your output is so high that you that is your thing is that you can constantly be commenting in the moment but right. if you don't do that it it is a it it burns out it burns out real fast. Where yeah. do you
2: teach your comedy class? Oh, um I teach it in Burbank, which is kind of where we're at. Uh I think I'm doing my next session in September, but it's through Kalmanson and Kalmanson. Oh, yeah, voice voice casting. Voice casters. So anyway, they branched out from just doing VO classes, voiceover classes, and they wanted me to teach. I teach two different kinds of improv classes and a comedy class, and I teach maybe three sessions a year. That's great. It's interesting. I learn a lot. I had one police officer who was in the class, and I, I was just asking, I don't know who the people are, I said, have you ever improvised in your life? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I said, when did you improvise? He says, oh, well, I'm a private. I'm a police officer, I was undercover, and I was being flown by these uh, drug guys over the Gulf of Mexico, and they were going to shoot me in the head and dump my body uh, into the Gulf. And so I started improvising. I said, you start improvising. What did you do? He says, talk about women. What do you think? Talked about women, the women I had and all sorts of things. Talked about sex and all this. Got them all laughing and all that kind of stuff. Talked about the kind of piece of tail I got when I'm going to land and all that kind of stuff. And then I took their firearm from them. I killed them both. Jesus. I know. Yes, and bullets. And yes, and we're Leon Neeson, you know, and 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 now he's taken my improv <laughs> class, this guy. Excuse me, Albanians. I'm going to need a suggestion.
0: <laughs> Give me a location. Now I'm going to need an occupation.
2: Oh I I have all types in that class. It's amazing. It's amazing. I learn a lot. So just as we as we
0: quickly wrap up, what is the first thing that you say just so people get an idea. Everyone sits down, first class. First thing out of your mouth, what do, you, what do you say to welcome them to the class?
2: I give them notebooks, mm-hmm. and I said, from now on and for the rest of your life, I want you to write down everything you see that's remarkable. You don't have to be literary about it. You don't have to be funny. You don't have to be dramatic. It could be like, I had no idea they had so many kinds of beer at Gelson's. <laughs> Just write it down, and it will become the book of your life. That's-
0: you I I I knew you'd be a great guest but you were even better than I thought you would. All be. right. And it's such a it's such an honor to meet you and I I've been, you know, I've been a fan for a long time and I hope you come back and uh if there's ever anything we can do to help you with anything, please let it please us well, know. We my
2: are, car could use a wash. <laughs>
0: I will wash yeah, your Mercedes. Yeah. I I know you'll probably want to like a lot of drug uh, like a lot of drug cartels poke my eyes out so I'm not <laughs> staring at it. And I'm just so that I don't uh, oh. see exactly that I, I don't deserve the beauty. But uh, I, I'll, wa- I'll wash your car for no, you. Thank you. And so, uh, anything you want to plug, anything you want to promote, the uh, I files. I guess,
2: yeah, certainly the Tubalowski files. Um, we have a new podcast, David Chin and I, an advice uh, podcast called Big Problems, which which is kind of fun. Uh, and they're both on iTunes now Tobolowski Files some Big Problems if you're the TV kind of person definitely watch Big Time in Hollywood Florida on Comedy Central mm-hmm. it is hysterical I love this show and I think Dan Schimpf and Alex Amfanger, mm-hmm. the creators I think if, if they haven't been on your show these guys are brilliant okay and and uh it is just a wonderfully funny show uh that, that's that's a big one and uh Everybody out there could keep our fingers crossed for my new story movie, uh, The Primary Instinct. We pre- I did a concert in Seattle, my stories. thousand people in the theater, filmed with Chicago Group, and now uh, it's going to premiere, I think, in May. Fantastic. At, yeah, so we'll see. Fingers crossed. Congratulations. And is it? are you just at Tobolowsky on Twitter? I th- I'm at Tobolowsky on Twitter. And if people go to StephenTobolowsky.com. Yeah. Like they'll get all my handles. Is that what they call it? Like for Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff.
0: T O B O L O S K
2: Y? No, W W S K Y. T O B O L O W S K Y. And S T P H E N. It's a P H and a W. It's a P H and a W.
0: Stephen Tobolowski, it's a pleasure to meet you. And I also. I will admit to you that I just bought a piece of art with your face on it.
2: Oh, no, you did.
0: I bought – I'll show it to you. I put it in my Instagram feed. Someone did uh, a series of colored pencil renderings, and I bought Ned Ryerson, and I bought Igor from uh, uh, Young Frankenstein.
2: That is fantastic. I would love to see it. I I, I was invited to the show, and – I'm glad to know it had a happy home. It
0: has a very happy home. So uh, I'll hopefully see you soon. Well, th- thank you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Enjoy. <laughs> Choose to enjoy your burrito.
1: Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.